0: are in Acts chapter 10, um, verses 23 to, um, to verse 43. And we remember, if you were here last week, we heard the story, that we, rather we began the story of um, a guy, Peter, and um, a guy called Cornelius. And God is trying to get them together to have a little chat about the gospel. And so they, we left the story last week where three men have arrived at Peter's door, and Peter invites them in overnight. We pick it up in verse, end of halfway through verse 23. It says, The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day he arrived in Caesarea, Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or to visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour, at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who's called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. But accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. So say last week we heard how, how God were, had spoken to Peter, spoken to Cornelius, and for very, in, in many, very different ways, he's the purpose of bringing them both together. And God is doing something in Peter's heart through the vision that we talked about last time round. So, even now, as Peter has allowed these three Gentiles to stay in his home overnight, it's quite a big thing. It meant that God was already working in his heart, God was already tearing down the walls between the Jews and the Gentiles. And now Peter willingly goes along with them, along with the messengers, but he doesn't go alone. He takes some friends with him, some Jewish friends with him. In fact, in Acts chapter 11, verse 12, we're told that actually there were six Jewish believers who went along with him for accountability, to be witnesses to these unfolding events. And this actually is a really good example for, for all of us to follow. Listen, if you are stepping into something new, into a new situation, don't do it alone. Be careful. Be careful. And the best way that you can be careful is to be accountable to others. So it would take them about two days to cover the 30 miles from Joppa to Caesarea. There's no doubt along this walk, I'm sure Peter is just taking time to ponder, taking time to process the massive revelation that he has just received. Again, don't forget that Peter has just got such a lot to take in a lifetime of ingrained teaching that has to just well, that's just literally been uprooted from his life and there's this gradual process this dawning on Peter of what really is going on in this situation i guess there's times sometimes we talk about times or people or places where there's an open door to the gospel Well, listen, in this situation, the gospel seems to literally be ripped off its hinges. And there's this growing expectation of what's about to follow. There's a realization of the momentous significance of this meeting. So this story in Acts chapter 10 is almost as significant as the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. This is a remarkable, remarkable thing that's happening in front of us. Now, when Peter arrives, it would have been very easy for Peter to feel superior, to use his situation to just to promote himself. But Peter was a servant. He's not a celebrity. You know, I guess we live in a day where there's a lot of celebrities around. We live in a very much a celebrity culture. And sadly, that's even invaded our churches. There's one big problem with putting anybody up on a pedestal they've got a long way to fall. Over recent years, there's been a large number, or certainly a number of of huge, of high-profile evangelical church leaders who have fallen, and their landing has been anything but soft. Often the story goes something like this. Celebrity pastor with a wide influence, they fall prey to sin, and they leave in their wake this chaos, disillusionment, and we need to remind ourselves that there is only one person that we should be exalting, and his name is Jesus. Amen. Only one person we exalt. If we've done this morning already, if we've sang our praises to him, but there's only one person we exalt, Jesus Christ. So when, 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 when Peter falls, or when Cornelius falls at Peter's feet, Peter tells him to get up. To be fair to Cornelius, an angel has organized this meeting. This is no ordinary event. It's perhaps not surprising that he he behaves in this way. But Peter knows that he should only be treated as just another person. Reinforced by what God has been teaching him, what God has been doing, that God does not show favoritism. So if God doesn't show favoritism, well then neither should anybody else. And Peter is joining, to, joining the dots together. He's, he's, he's seeing the bigger picture now, what started off in a vision of some animals. That's what got him to this place in the first place. We talked about it last week. And then the command from God not to call anything that God has made unclean. He realized that this is all about people. It's all to do with what's going on before his eyes. So, despite the fact that he has spent most of his life thinking that Gentiles are unclean, he's listening to God. The reality is, he is breaking the Jewish rule book by even being in Cornelius' house. So, his announcement that he did not consider Gentiles unclean would have both amazed but also delighted. The hearts of the listeners in that crowded room. But what does seem a little bit strange is Peter's question in verse 29. He says, why have you sent me? Why why have you sent me? Wasn't that Peter didn't realize that he had been called there to preach the gospel? Surely he's been doing this is his job, pretty much. He's been doing this for for umpteen years now. Or had he forgotten the great commission of Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 to be witnesses to the ends of the earth? Well, I think both of those reasons are highly unlikely. But again, let's not forget that Peter is in the middle of a very unusual situation here. He's never been in a Gentile home before, and so he is proceeding here with a great deal of grace and caution. He doesn't jump in with both feet. He listens before he speaks. Perhaps he's aware that later on he's going to be questioned about his actions here. And indeed, a short time later, as we'll come to in a few weeks' time, a conference will be called to deal with the place of Gentiles within the church. And Peter knows that he is answerable to other church leaders. This, Peter is not some lone ranger He comes under the authority of others, even as a leader. So Peter's decision here to proceed slowly is the right one. He proceeds with a great deal of caution. And I just want want you to know that as a leader of this church, as leader of Freedom Church, that I choose to come under the authority of other leaders within New Frontiers, within Christ Central Churches, meet with them regularly, take advice from them regularly, Listen, no one, no one should be serving God in isolation. We need each other. We need to be accountable to one another. Listen, if you don't have someone who you are accountable to, find a godly person who you can be answerable to. There are plenty around in our church. If you haven't got somebody, go go get someone. Go ask someone. They'll be delighted. I'm sure they'll be delighted just to spend some time with you so that you can be accountable to them. I guess it can be very easy for us, especially if we are in some, have some leadership responsibility, whether it be in church life or even in, in, in industry or business, to speak first and then to ask questions later. But it so often ends up in so much trouble. And I want to urge you, in fact, and I want to remind myself as well to be slow to speak and to be quick to listen. This is exactly what Peter does here. He first of all allows Cornelius to retell his experience with the angel. Remember, he knows the story already. The messengers have already told him the story. It's not that he doesn't know it, he wants to hear it from Cornelius. And Peter listens carefully to why he has been summoned. The reason, Cornelius says, we are here to listen to everything that the Lord has commanded you to tell us, you'll notice here, there's a whole lot of listening going on from both sides. He and his family and his friends just want to know how to be saved. They're lost sinners. They're begging to know how can they meet with Jesus. And God has sent Peter so that he can tell them the gospel. So what do we learn from the story so far? The first thing is this, there can be no salvation apart from faith in Jesus. Cornelius was a man of piety, he was a man of morality, he was a good, good guy, probably better than most of us here, let's be honest, but he did not have salvation, And there are some people who would argue that, well, you should leave someone like Cornelius just alone. His religion is part of his culture. He's doing pretty well. He's a good guy. Surely that's enough. And anyway, wouldn't it be a shame to change him? But God doesn't see it that way. Apart from hearing the message of the gospel and trusting in Jesus, Cornelius had no hope. And he knew it. Without Jesus Christ, he had nothing. The second thought is this. Is that God came searching for Cornelius. He was chosen by God. And even before he had any say in the matter, his name was engraved in the heart of God. Listen, where there is a searching heart God will respond but listen God by his spirit is even part of that searching and it's important we understand this you are a Christian not because God has made some snap decision and adopted you in the moment that you believed instead before the world began he saw you as his child He watched over your life. He planned the events to bring you into relationship with the Father. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4, For he chose us in him before the creation of this world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. So what is it? What moved God to choose me? What made him choose you? Simply his own pleasure, his sovereign will. Your salvation is certain because God chose you. It's not about you, it's all about him. It's all about Jesus. And knowing this should propel us to follow Jesus, should help us to obey his will, to, to share his word. Because listen, you never, never know When your witness for Jesus is exactly what someone has been waiting, praying, hoping to hear. Third thing I think we learn is that Peter had the privilege of ministering to this congregation who were ready and who were responsive to the word of God. The place is full. They are all present. They want to hear God's word. The Holy Spirit has prepared the way and opened up the door. So they listen. They believe. They obey. What more could any preacher want? But listen, we do need to ask. We need to ask. See, whenever... You bring God's word, whether it be in a setting like this, whether it be to a friend at work, or maybe even to you're led to a stranger by the Holy Spirit in the street. Surround it all with expectant prayer. Be men and women of prayer. And ask God to move by his spirit, that he would use your words to see people saved. And the fourth thought is this. Kindness and generosity of spirit, especially to those who are different from us, paves the way for the good news about Jesus. Like Peter, you need to be prepared to cross uncomfortable cultural divides in order to win a hearing for the gospel. So do not underestimate the power of kindness and love. I hear many Christians use the excuse, well, the gospel is, the gospel is offensive, and, and of course there is some truth in that, that the gospel certainly demands a response from people, but sometimes it's not the gospel that offends, but the way in which it's presented. Get to know people. Love them without any ulterior motive. Build genuine friendships, be kind, be generous, and from a place of love, a place of compassion, tell them about Jesus. As Peter takes time to listen, he understands God's agenda. I hope you've noticed throughout this whole story here, this is not Peter's plan. He doesn't know what's going on most of the time. He's just sort of, he's just, this is God's plan. And Peter's just jumping on for the ride, really. And, and, and as he does, he realizes how true it is that God does not show favoritism. So Peter listens to the audience. He listens to the Holy Spirit. And although it doesn't tell us here, I'm pretty sure that he aligns himself with the things that he is hearing from the Word of God. Now, for Peter, of course, that would have been the Old Testament but the fact that God does not show favoritism is well-known truth in both the Old and the New Testament. So we read verses like Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12, verse 17 says, for the Lord your God is the God of gods. He is the Lord of lords. He is the great God. He is the mighty and the awesome God who shows no partiality and cannot be bribed. Second, Chron- Second Chronicles 19, fear the Lord... Fear the Lord and judge with integrity for the Lord our God does not tolerate perverse ju- perverse, perverted justice, get the words right, perverted justice, partiality or the taking of brides. And in this moment, God is reinforcing and Peter is understanding that God accepts people from every nation. It's been great to hear some people sing out in their own language from different nations this morning. Listen, God accepts people from every, every nation. And in other words, a person's background is never a disadvantage to them when it comes to the gospel. The gospel is for everybody. It's for us all. Just one little word of clarification here over verse 35. When Peter says that God accepts People who fear him and do what is right. He does not mean that people are saved without the gospel. You see, the sole reason for Peter being here was so that he could tell them the gospel was for them as well. So that's exactly what he does. Let's read on, verse 36. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead." He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. So what's Peter doing? He's introducing Jesus to them. And he's doing with the realization that God is no respecter of person as far as nationality, as far as race are concerned. So when it comes to sin, when it comes to salvation, there is no difference. All people have the same creator and all people need the same savior. And Jesus Christ is Lord of all. But in fact, the name Jesus, of course, means God saves. And Jesus Christ is king. And because he is both Savior and Lord, you need to make him your God. So Peter begins with Jesus' baptism. He emphasized that Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit and power. He told them how Jesus, about Jesus' life, about his care, his healings, his liberation. And Peter describes from first hand experience what he's seen Jesus do with his own eyes, of how Jesus' life was ended by crucifixion only for God to raise him from the dead. The public at large at that time knew about Jesus' life, ministry, and death. But only the apostles and the other believers were eyewitnesses to the resurrection. So Cornelius and his friends would have certainly known a lot about Jesus. They'd they'd heard the stories of his healings. They'd heard about his life. They'd have heard certainly about his death. But not necessarily understood if this was relevant to them. And what Peter makes very clear is that although Israel was God's instrument for accomplishing this work. However, Jesus is Lord of all and not just Lord of Israel. In fact, from the very beginning of the nation of Israel, God made it very clear that the blessing that started with Israel would be for the whole world in Genesis chapter 12, which means that Jesus is now the appoint the one appointed by God as judge of everyone, both living and dead, everybody. But he is also the one through whom forgiveness of sin is offered. And this offer is for everyone who believes on him. And the challenge of Jesus as judge goes hand in hand with the promise of Jesus as Savior. Listen, if he isn't judge well then, there's no need for forgiveness. But if he doesn't offer forgiveness, then the gospel is bad news, not good news. But listen, the gospel is the best news ever. Because everyone, including you, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. And for those who had gathered in Cornelius' home that day, they realized this applied to them. And they were saved. Listen, this also applies to you. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, this applies to you. It's for you today to fear God fully is not a matter of ethics or morality. It is to respond to God in the way in which he wants you to respond. You need to understand the facts and the meaning of the gospel that centers around Jesus' life and death and resurrection. Listen, the cross and the resurrection are not myths. They're not metaphors. They are real historical events. To back this up, Peter actually Points to two gospel witnesses. The first is scriptures, it's the the prophets of the Old Testament. The second witness is himself and the other disciples with their overwhelming eyewitness testimonies to the facts of the resurrection. He even includes little details of how he ate and drank with the risen Lord Jesus to understand that this is a physical resurrection. Not some ghostly apparition or, or some kind of spiritual resurrection. It's not just wishful thinking. Jesus rose from the dead. Fact. Jesus ascended into heaven. Fact. Jesus is alive today. Absolute fact. Amen. And that changes everything. Doesn't it? Yes. It changes absolutely everything. Because it means you can know Jesus, the risen Jesus, today. He offers forgiveness when you put your trust in him. And God is still saving and changing lives today. A number of years ago I was working over in Belfast and a group of people I worked with they they are the sort of guys who loved to party quite a lot and from time to time I would go out with them. Didn't drink alcohol, so they thought it was great. I became their designated driver. <laughs> they loved it. And they were a live bunch of people. But there's one particular lady who was just the life and the soul of the party. And I, I prayed for her and, and for others, of course, and just gently talked and responded to questions about Jesus, and, and she, was, she was interested. And about a year later, she walks into work one day and just announces to everybody, wasn't expecting it, I've just become a Christian. And she just radiated the presence of Jesus. And the change and the testimony was so obvious. In fact, it made such a massive impact on her family and friends. Her daughter and her son-in-law became Christians. Another receptionist in work became a Christian. A fellow worker recommitted her life to Jesus. But my favorite part of the story is about a girl called Deidre, who also was in work. She was just watching, looking on to everything that, is, that God was doing. And a few weeks went past, and she started coming to the little discipleship group that we did at work, and, and she was asking lots of questions, and eventually she came to me one day and said, how do I become a Christian? And I explained to her, it was as simple as A, B, C. A, admit you need Jesus. Admit you need some help. Admit you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus Christ is the answer. Believe that he died for you, that he rose again. And then C, come to him. Turn from your sin, turn from your pride and follow him. And then she said to me, well, how will I know? And I thought for a moment and I, and I simply said to her, says, you you'll know when you ask him, he will reveal himself to you. I'd normally pray with someone there and then, but this is the middle of an optician's practice. It just wasn't that appropriate. And things were quite busy. And I just felt the Holy Spirit just say, look, tell her to go home to pray to God by herself. And I give her a little book, a little tract, with a little prayer at the end of it. I got a phone call about 9 p.m. that evening. It was Deidre. And she was half laughing, she was half crying, and all she could say was, I know. Oh. Keith? I know. And that evening in her bedroom, she had met with Jesus and he had performed a deep work of grace within her life. And what Jesus did for Deidre, what he did for Cornelius, what he did for so many other of us in this room, listen, he can do for you. If you call out to him, You don't become a Christian by agreeing to a doctrinal list of rules, or by following a moral code, or even by feeling spiritual. You become a Christian by meeting a person. You receive a man as your king, as your saviour, as your lord. You're not a Christian because you are good, or because you're spiritual, or because you're knowledgeable. You are a Christian because you know Jesus. It is that simple. It is so simple. So you don't need extra knowledge. You don't need sp- sort of special spiritual experience or some new rules to keep. Listen, we are very good at complicating things. Craving after the new, the improved, the glamorous. But the, sim- the simplest and the most thrilling news of all is that Jesus is all you need to be saved. And Jesus is all you need to stay saved. Let's stand together. I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite the band just to come up. I'm just going to finish with a song in a moment. I don't know, I know many of you don't know everybody here, but listen, if you don't know Jesus yet, I would just love to take the opportunity to spend some time, and introduce him to you. So you want to come and catch me afterwards, please do that. I'm just going to pray over us now because we've been called, like Peter, like so many others, to, to go, to take the message of the love of Jesus to a world that needs to hear it. I want to pray just God's strength, God's power over us. Father, we thank you for your word, for the challenge Thank you for the truth. Lord, forgive us when we overcomplicate the gospel, when we try to add our own little set of rules on top of it. Lord, thank you, Lord. We come to you, Jesus, as our Lord, as our Savior. We worship you. But, Father, I pray, Holy Spirit, just take hold of us. Just send us out. Lord, this week, Lord, I pray, Father, for just godly... uh, godly moments this week in which we can bring Jesus into the situation. Give us boldness. Give us courage. Help us, we ask. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.